Welcome to the Post-Christian Podcast. Our goal is to reframe, simplify, and focus on our mission to make disciples in a post-Christian culture. We discuss reaching new people and raising up leaders while removing the barriers of churchianity. I'm Eric Bryant, one of the executive pastors at Gateway Church in Austin, author of Not Like Me, and resource provider at ericbryant.org. Well, I'm very excited today to have with me Dave Gibbons. How are you, Dave? Fantastic. Oh, awesome, man. Well, I loved our years together in Southern California. There at New Song as the pastor, you're an author, but you're also an entrepreneur. I would just love to hear your take as you're reaching out. How are you seeing people with kind of that Christianity as part of their past finding faith in your context? Well, I think a lot of people are not searching for the particular faith that we were accustomed to because of this past year and a half. I think it's been more codified that it's not something they want to belong to. But in my context, we've actually grown a lot because of the uh, positions we've taken more explicitly, you know, around racial reckoning, um, around uh, Christian nationalism, white supremacy, Black Lives Matter, and also even uh, sexuality issues. So we've we've attracted a different type of constituency that was looking for uh, an environment like ours. You know, I think that's a really important point. There's a sense of, you know, I don't know what to say, so some folks don't say anything, but in doing so, some of the very people you're trying to reach assume the worst. You know, uh, they assume what they see on television what are some of the ways that your church has been involved with reconciliation when it comes to some of this racial disharmony in our culture? Well, you know, I started day one, you know, 26 years ago, because our one word focus has always been reconciliation. Mm. And it was birthed out of the, you know, the LA, you know, race riots that we saw, unfortunately. And then also just what I saw happening in the Asian church, which I was from, there's an exodus. So I felt there needed to be more of like a third culture, a multi-ethnic expression. So we've always been proactive in that, you know, from a theological positioning, even when it wasn't popular, when people were saying focus upon like Saddleback Sam or unchurched Harry Mary, you know, people like you. And we said, no, it's the exact opposite of that. Someone not like you. And so that's been a part of our um, narrative and our story. But I think everything got super codified with this last couple of years where people got to see what our position is even more clearly and make sense of it. And so we've been involved in working with misfits and outsiders that are not connected uh, to God, but also not connected to uh, the church. And uh, we've been doing that through active engagement and systemic transformation of cities. Wow. Yeah. Talk a little bit about that because you are in the marketplace as well. You're not just a pastor who, you know, studies 40 hours a week just to share a message. You're you're out there in the marketplace. What are some of the ways you're turning things upside down in cities, reaching out in that world? Yeah, well, number one is we 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 look at how we build a church or how we look at church. The the analogy in the past was like we're the destination center and everybody comes for our show, for small group activity, community. All these are really good stuff, but we felt we need to flip the model where it's more about empowering people where they are. 
And so, so the, the analogy that we like to use is more like an X-Men Academy. Our, our focus is be more like a university or grad school, customized boutique educational center, where we're equipping people not to stay in our vertical, but to release people uh, into engagement in the public spheres and also in their private world. And I found that most of the time, if people join the church or join, uh, you know, a, a, a community, it's like you get tied up and really super busy in that one vertical. And I just felt, man, we took we just took people out of the game and it made it awkward and made it kind of weird where people have to now figure out a way to invite you to church to get all the spiritual stuff. Yeah. And so we just reformatted it in terms of like metaphorically, but also system wise. It's all about helping people assess who their design is and then help them uh, develop a, a, a journey to living out that design in their private and public world. And then our, you know, so the way we've been seeing that fleshed out is by uh, these trainings that we've been doing, but uh, workshops, but also I've been personally modeling it by giving much of my time towards the public sector. So I, you know, I'm working, I'm bivocational. I've been bivocational for, you know, 10 years or, or plus years, but even more so recently where I want to show that this model can work within a company, a mm-hmm. for-profit company, whether it's secular or Christian. You know, that was one of the things as we were partnering together, I was always amazed by just the way you've not only talked about, let's be fully engaged on mission wherever we're at but actually doing that, like you chose to be bivocational. Uh, I, I just love the way that the folks at New Song, and I've seen it, some of your folks have been on staff and then they're back in the corporate world and, and back and forth. What are some of the things you do to help move your people to think like you do? Because that's not normal. Usually it's my church life is over here and my work life is over there. But I think this is something really important in this post-Christian world is people living out their faith everywhere they are. How have you helped facilitate that? Well, I think what helps a lot is, you know, something that we don't maybe even impose. It's pain. Pain's the number one driver of change. And so when people have seen the economic and cultural uh, shifts of, of the globe, you know, they're forced to re-examine everything. So that's happened now. So I think that's the number one thing that I don't have any control of. That's helped the most. Uh, what we've done to help expedite that or t- is to first theologically demonstrate that, hey, this is from God. We're not trying to be PC. You know, it literally it says in Genesis, you know, be fruitful, multiply, subdue the whole earth. We weren't meant to live in babbles. We're meant to be a part of the, the globe. And then if you look at Jesus, he was in the city. He wasn't just inviting them to the temple. He was amidst them. And and then the other thing we show them is Genesis 12, that they're called to bless the nations. And blessing is not just God bless you with some words, but it's when you see a person, you know them, you affirm them, and then you give access to capital or your inheritance, let's say. And so we're called to do that. So we show that theologically, and then we, we demonstrate that um, through uh, personal practices where people need to see models of it. So that's why, to me, I start showing a model of how you can do this and live this out uh, so people can see that it's possible. And then the third thing we did is we started creating uh, these uh, experiences of training so people can then be equipped. And the truth is, you know, you're going to want everybody to be involved, but uh, usually about 10% get it or are ready to go for it. 
And then eventually that 10% will grow into a larger percentage. But to me, I'm shooting for that 10% uh, that's ready to, to go for it. Mm, that's really good. Uh, during this crazy last couple of years, especially during the pandemic, the racial reckoning, what are some of the things that you guys at New Song have tried or done that's worked? I mean, you've basically been in a state that's not allowed you to meet. And so you actually had to be more like what you were talking about for all these years, you know, yeah. uh, but how, how have you seen that propel the mission forward? Well, it's, you know, it, it's, it's been exciting because it was the only way we were uh, able to worship and worship was typically seen as preaching, singing, small group interaction. But now people see worship as justice. And so you can't get around that when you look at Isaiah and then you look at how Jesus came to set people free and they oppressed. And so to me, people knew that in their the realm of their psyche, but it never was dropped, I think, into their soul. So this became more evident, I think, during this period. And so the way we've been able to do that is by re reemphasizing the things we've been always talking about. But then showing them, okay, let, now we're doing it. Do you, and so let me let's let's show you how you do it. And the way we help people do it was by connecting to key people who are already in the city, uh, who are already doing the action. And at that time, for example, Black Lives Matter, which has um, you know mixed reviews from especially Christian communities, um, but Black Lives Matter, regardless of what you believe about their sexuality positions or some of their social agendas. They're the ones that were really the prophetic ones that were doing anything in the streets. They were catalyzing a global movement. And so to me, I felt like, you know, uh, it's important for our community to partner with people who they may not fully agree with, but that's true even with Christians, mm -hmm. but who hold to these values that are higher than some of the things that we will, will tend to divide over. So I kind of am a follower of like this graded absolutism that there are some absolutes that are more important than other absolutes. And so, yeah. Now that's really a great way to describe it. I love that because you, just by partnering with them, isn't saying we embrace everything they have to say, but the main thing they're trying to do is what we're trying to do. Um, and even when it comes to stop Asian hate, mm -hmm. what are some of the things your church, which is a very multi-ethnic church, lots of third culture people. What are some of the things you've done that has helped the Asian community feel like the church is involved in this whole healing process and justice? Well, number one is not be silent. You know, I, there's a, there's a time I think for a lot of us, we don't want to be so, you know, we'd say political. Um, but what I realized it needs to be more nuanced. We don't want to be partisan, but we do need to be political. Because uh, political means to be in the conversations that are meaningful in the city. Mm -hmm. And so those who know Christ should be involved in that. You know, um, you know, we're bringing our values, our vision, but, you know, most importantly, love into the mix, which should help guide the agenda of any city. And so to me, I, I think it's important that, you know, we, we, we engage in politics, but not partisanship. So we've emphasized it that way. And then the other AAPI stuff that to me is not just simply not being silent, but, you know, speaking up like, you know, you it's 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 when there's opportunities, don't be afraid to be a voice, because I think right now, more than any other that I've seen in my lifetime, there is a prophetic side to our mission. 
and prophetic, not like where we're beating down people and shaming them, but against the spirit of love and humility that we go out and demonstrate that we're standing with the oppressed. We're standing with those who've been uh, systemically uh, uh, abused. And so I think this is what Jesus would do. So I think if we don't do that, it's, it's actually our silence is certainly complicity to this generation. So we have to be active um, by speaking up in the forms, whether it's on social media, whether it's um, at, at the workplace. And then the other thing is I would say, be sure to be informed and uh, to read. Uh, you, know, you know, one thing I tell people is you should watch the PBS special that's on Asian American history. You know, it's like six part series. This just watch that. You'll find out things you never knew about mm-hmm. that Asians, because the Asians typically don't talk about stuff. So study the history. And then the fourth thing I would say is get involved with these Asian communities, uh, specifically the leaders who are fighting on the front lines. And so there's like Stop Asian Hate and there's other groups that are within your city that you can partner with. Like in our city, there's an organization called Clue. You know, it's a, it's a clergy and lady that's unified for empowerment. And uh, they're very active and I think they're national. So you, there's all these groups that you don't have to feel like you have to do everything, but you're partnering with people who are already doing it. You're listening and learning mostly. And then when necessary, you speak and you act. Mm, that's really good. Dave, if people want to read some of the books you've written or keep up with what you're doing, what's the best way to find you online? Um, Instagram at Dave K. Gibbons, G-I-B-B-O-N-S. And then, you know, they can uh, go to my website, davegibbons.org or threeculture.com. And they can find out that there's the stuff that we're doing. The most recent book I've written is called Small Cloud Rising. I got two more books hopefully coming out in the next year and a half. One on spiritual intelligence and other is a memoir on, on my life. It's like, a, it's, I'm going to call it, I think, yellow or the shape of my eyes. I love it. I can't wait to read the new book, the ones that are to come. Thank you for investing in us uh, from all over and just keep doing the great work you're doing, Dave. Really grateful for you. Love it, man. Good being here. Thanks for joining us on the Post-Christian Podcast. More resources available at ericbryant.org.